0: doing one of my favorite things that I do, which is an episode immediately following another episode. Like finishing an episode in my house and then thinking, God, I gotta go for a walk. I gotta get away from myself. And then going out and then just doing the exact same thing on the walk. You know, something I'm thinking about is, you know, taste makers. Because something I've learned about people, and I don't mean this in a... I don't mean this in an unnecessarily critical way, but something I've learned about people is that people like what other people like. And the reason for that isn't because they're dumb. It's because oftentimes what other people like is okay. At the very least, it's safe. And it's not just that, it's also you see things kind of through the eyes of other people And that helps you understand the appeal of that thing. It's not just, oh, I'm gonna copy what other people like so that those people like me, although that happens, of course, but there's an aspect to it that's like, because other people like it, you understand there is something to like about it to begin with and give it the benefit of the doubt. And of course, a lot of people are the opposite. Like, I'm naturally the opposite, where if other people like something, I think, "Eh, I probably won't like that. Not because they like it, but because I doubt that the thing that appeals to them is one of the things that appeals to me. And I fight that. You know, I do fight that in myself up to a certain point. But there are other people, I mean, I've used this example before, where it's like, I learned this during my drinking days when I used to drink with a lot of people, the peak of my social life, and I learned that there are certain friends you have, and they're your friends, so I'm not talking about total strangers, but there are friends you have, so there are people that otherwise you have something in common with, at the very least you get along, and when you go to a bar and it's crowded, Or it doesn't even have to be a bar. It could be a park. It could be anywhere. Anywhere that human beings congregate or can potentially congregate. There's a certain sort of person who gets there and if the place is packed, they say, I'm in the right place. You can't argue with numbers. I'm in the right place because there are people here enjoying this place. This must be the right bar because people are here. And that's a certain sort of person, and I have friends like that. And so it's not a matter of, like, them being, uh... It's not not that they're not individuals. It's just that they go to a place, and other people enjoying that place is a sign that it's the place to be. It's the thing to do. As... uh, motorcycles ride by, but then there's the opposite, and this is more me, where when I used to drink, if I went to a bar, especially on a weekend night, and the place is relatively empty or completely empty, I think I just hit the jackpot, because I get to have this place to myself, my friends and I get to, you know, we get our pick of the house, we don't have to wait in line, we can hear each other talk, we can choose where we get to sit, Because I'm not here for the social atmosphere, in most cases. But then, you know, even though I never took girls home from bars, you know, very, very rarely did that ever happen. And uh, I would go out, though, and it's like, the only reason I would want to be around people, the only reason that... This is a loud street, I apologize. Uh, Nothing but loud streets. But I would go to a bar and I would think, like, you know... The only reason I would want this place to be packed right now is it would mean more girls. It would mean that not because I hit on girls at bars all the time, but there's just the possibility of it. And you can look at people, not stare at girls in a bar, not get drunk and just drool staring at them, but just the idea of them being there had an appeal for obvious reasons. Even if I didn't intend on taking a girl home, it's just that that was the only reason I could ever think of for like, yeah, I'm in a crowded bar. That's the only reason I could ever think to celebrate that. Because I was never somebody who talked to strangers too much. You know, it happened. You drink enough, you do that. But I was never somebody who wanted to, you know, meet random strangers every time I went out. But anyway, my point is, is that there's a certain sort of person who goes to that kind of place and they think, all the people people, peeper, <laughs> all the peeper are here, so I'm in the right place. And then there's the person who says, oh, hey, there's nobody here, I'm in the right place. And you can be both, or you can enjoy both of those in different times and places. But I think that people sort of lean one way or another And I think they they lean that way with their taste as well. They lean that way with the music they like, the movies they like. Music, for whatever reason, is the big one. Music brings out the most extreme responses when it comes to a human being's taste. And it also seems to be one of the things that is... It brings, you know, it's one of the things that you respond to on a social level more than other things. Like, I never once thought about the fact that a movie was popular. And granted, I might not be the best example because I'm not a movie guy. But growing up, you know, I saw tons of movies and it never even entered my mind to consider whether or not a movie's popularity impacted my viewing of the movie. But yet, I have certainly felt that way with music. And again, I don't base my taste around that. Like, I don't abandon things when they become popular. But that said, you know, for whatever reason, music brings that response out in a lot of people. Even people who are into the mainstream. You'll hear them say the same thing. Oh, I, I found out about it first. It's the endless pursuit of jewels... For whatever reason, music, I mean, I wouldn't even say for whatever reason, it seems pretty obvious to me why music has this jewel status with us. Why we're always on the hunt for new, exciting music, and not new as in brand new to the world, but we haven't heard it before. And so there's something about being a fan of music, being very into music, that really brings out that jewel hunter, even in people who otherwise don't care about that kind of thing. And for me, it was always music that I felt that way about. And I always knew it was silly to be upset about something's popularity, of course. You know, even as a kid, like I knew that that feeling wasn't a good feeling to have. I knew that I shouldn't respond to that. But it's something that's sort of built into you. And in that way, it's not entirely different from going to a crowded place. It's a similar sort of feeling. It's not just like... It's it's not just purely antisocial. You know, a part of it is just... It feels crowded. And we also like to feel like we found the special jewel. And only we can access it. It only belongs to us. I mean, that defines... The entire human interest in exclusivity and limitation why people are collectors of limited things and we kind of like to feel that way about things that even you know we even think that way about things that aren't limited because you think about if you own a cd and you really like it there's no limitation on how much of it you can get you might make yourself sick of it if you go out into the world and you hear the same pop song you know over and over again You very well might get sick of it because of that, but in terms of, you know, something being popular, the amount of people listening to something really has no bearing on it, yet for some of us, it does make us feel slightly different about it. And that is a feeling worth fighting, but it's also a feeling worth thinking about. Because I think it's totally okay to feel that way. I think it's totally okay as long as you're aware of it. As long as you know that one of the reasons you're into the things you're into is because you like hunting jewels. Because there is a lot of fun in that. It is one of the reasons why being a human being on this planet is an interesting evolving experience. Because you never know what jewels you're going to stumble upon, whether you're deliberately digging for them or not. You never know. But I was thinking about tastemakers. And, you know, my friend Miles, when I first met him, you know, 16, 17 years ago, right away I recognized, oh, this guy's a tastemaker. Not because he has a lot of people's ears, not because he has a lot of people who are copying him or, like, exposed to him at all, you know what I mean? Is a person with a small circle of people, but yet he's the kind of person where if he says he's listening to something, or if he says something is good, you're at least going to give it a chance. And I can't say that for everybody. You know, I can't even say that for myself, which is one reason why I'd rather do you know an occasional you know radio show where I play music than uh, try to like tell my friends what to listen to. And at this point. I'm not even in it enough to do that anyway. I'm not even looking for things enough to even recommend anything. But I also know that, you know, I'm not a tastemaker necessarily. You know, I'm not somebody who, if I make a recommendation, it's not a guarantee that somebody's gonna check it out. And with people like Miles, it's like even though he has a small circle of people, just about every one of those people, unless they're jealous which people are, of everybody, for every reason imaginable, but unless they're, like, jealous of the fact that he found the jewel first, or that he always finds the best jewels, chances are they're going to give it a chance. They might not like it. I mean, I could say that for myself. Like, he's the sort of friend where if he recommends something or sends me something, I might not even like it. But because he's the one who sent it my way, I almost hear it through different ears. And that's just a one-to-one thing. That's just a friend of mine whose taste I trust, but it's also, it's not like it's the same thing. It's not like this is a person who has the best taste in salsa music. Therefore, whenever he sends me new salsa, I'm going to check it out. You know, it's not even a situation like that. It could be something I've never even heard of. It could be a genre I've never heard, an artist I've never heard. It could be something that's totally outside of any conversation, outside of my own taste. But I will give it a chance. And I will be interested enough to give it a chance if it's him doing the recommending. And I can think about other people in my life who I would say the same about. And it's usually like a specific thing. I mean, if he were to recommend me a movie, I would never watch it because I don't really watch movies. And I, from what I gather, I don't even think that I would like a lot of the movies uh, Some that he's into or that anybody I know is into. Like anybody I know, like when they are very interested in like independent film or anything. I mean, that sounds like a silly phrase. It's like an antiquated phrase now. But anytime they're interested in anything film related... I just know, you know, I, I tune out right away at this point. Maybe I should give things a chance. I don't know. I'm just not a movie guy. So it's not that, like, one person just dictates all of their taste to you. But there's a certain, you know, form. You know, there's, it's, it, 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 with that person, it might be music. With this person, it might be something else. It might be books. It might be something niche. There's a niche. And the thing is, though, is that people who respond to... The popularity of something they're doing that too they're just not getting it from a single person like when someone i mean because like the same thing happens with taste with your friends like you might have a certain friend where it's like he always recommends the best hole in the wall mexican restaurants (laughs) you're going you tell your friend you have a certain friend and you tell them oh yeah i'm going to los angeles this weekend And they tell you, hey, you know, you should really check out this taco place. And because you know that person has good taste in tacos, somehow that person's taste has, you know, been verified. That person has credentials. They have credentialed taste, maybe you could say. (laughs) Because of that, though, you listen to them. But you wouldn't do that with every friend. You wouldn't do that with everybody you know. You probably have people you know where you love them, but if they tell you, hey, check out this taco restaurant, check out this taco joint, it's just in one ear, out the other, you're never gonna go there. And it might not even be because they have bad taste, although some, you know, we love people who have bad taste too, but it might just be that it's just, it means nothing to you. They have no credentials in your mind as far as, you know, what makes a good taco restaurant. What makes a good album but the point i'm trying to make here is that when someone you know when someone sees that a lot of people are into something and that makes them gravitate toward it in their mind that's the same sort of like credential system it's like okay you can't mess with numbers something couldn't appeal to so many people if there wasn't something intrinsically appealing about it. And there's an argument to be made there. Even though my brain is wired differently, there is an argument to be made there. The, The more people who like something, the more likely there is something that a layman, not to be confused with a gayman, will get. Like, hey, if a bunch of people are into this, there's a good chance I will get it. There's a good chance it will resonate with me. Something about it must resonate with somebody. Even if it's not the same thing that resonates with 25% of the fans. The fact that there are so many fans means there is something in it for all of these people, one way or another. On just a probability level, it makes it that much more likely that you might find something. Especially if it's people that are part of your peer group. I think that's one of the reasons why this is such a common phenomenon with young people because they think a bunch of other young people are into this thing I'm a young person this thing must appeal to young people in some way or another old people do it too of course but I do think it's something that you know you see a lot in school where people are still figuring out their identities like I found in my experience, an older person can kind of get hoodwinked by something that attempts to recreate the music they grew up with. Because what I'm finding, and I would probably include myself in this to some extent, is that you know, people really do just kind of settle in on their taste. Like the guy who grew up with in the classic quote-unquote classic rock era, who only listens to classic rock the rest of his life... But then if, like, a new band comes out that's, like, doing some sort of LARP, they'll go, you know, if they're LARPing as whatever that guy grew up with, and he's not someone who really, you know, and he's not somebody who, like, is a total curmudgeon, basically, like, there's a good chance he'll be like, yeah, look at what these guys are doing. And I I had that experience. It was funny. My friend Nick and I were... We were at our hometown. And we went to this this bar. It was called Asian Walk, W-O-K. It was like a Chinese restaurant, but at night it was kind of a rowdy bar, at least rowdy for the town we grew up in. And we went there one night. We had never gone there, you know, as adults or anything. So we went there one night. And this guy strolled in. And he had long hair, probably in his mid-40s. And the guy... We were drunk. Like, we were just wasted. And we were all sitting at the bar, and this guy was there. And he, he was an old rocker. You could just tell. I mean, he, he was still... I wouldn't say he was a hesher, but it's like he's a guy who grew up with 80s rock, maybe some 80s heavy metal, and he still had a little bit of that look, even though he was getting older. And that kind of person is completely out of place in Kirkland, where I grew up, both then and now. Like, he was probably one of the few people like him... When he was young and now he's probably the only guy like him but i started talking to him and it turned out that he had graduated from the same high school we did but in 1988 and his name was joey and so i I was like joey 88 we'll call him joey 88 coincidentally it was 88 degrees today such a synchronicity i know no but uh It was a tribute to joey 88 the weather was a tribute to joey 88 today but no i started jokingly in conversation like i called my friend over i was like hey nick get over here this guy joey 88 he graduated from our high school in 1988 i was probably being a complete fool but anyway i started talking to this guy about music because he was obviously an old rocker old metal guy and i think we just ended up talking about black sabbath I think we probably talked about Judas Judas Priest and Black Sabbath just I mean what else? You know it's not like this guy came in and he collects rare Polish heavy metal albums from the 80s like he's just an old rocker. So of course we ended up talking about big bands that are great. It's the best some of the best bands. But then he was like, "Yeah, I went to this festival in Seattle last year like a it was like a the Bite of Seattle. You know they they have a food festival. Where it's just like a bunch of stands. Restaurants have little stands. So you can test out the the different, you know, culinary action going on in in Seattle. You know, it's one of those places. The foodies love it. No, but uh, he was talking about that. He was like, oh yeah, you know, I was in Seattle at you know some fair, or some festival, and uh, you know this band came on, and he's like, I have it in my car. I bought their CD, man. He's like they're just like Sabbath you know they're just like you know that kind of thing and he put it on he got he, he got the people because we were the only ones in there we were the only ones in the bar and so he got the bartender to put it on the jukebox and of course I didn't like it and of course I mean you could tell where they were influenced by black Sabbath and probably all kinds of just classic rock because I mean all of my friends who are into Sabbath like got to Sabbath through weird things Or from a different direction at least. But then there's this sort of person, which is probably most fans, probably most Black Sabbath fans, who just got there because Black Sabbath is a great rock band. Who's heavier than most. But anyway, this guy like put it on and it was just like some generic I mean it was a bar band. I mean that's basically what I'm getting at here. Is he put on this bar band. (laughs) <laughs> because we were talking about Black Sabbath or something. I mean, I honestly, I, I got blacked out at some point that night. I don't know when. I remember this much. But I got blacked out, and uh, he was playing, probably at the moment he started playing that band. It's probably my last memory of the night. And I wasn't a dick, because the thing is, I'm not actually that much of a dick, and I know that, because like if I would get blackout drunk... I would very rarely start shit or even say anything mean. Like, I might be annoying, but I would very rarely ever, like, cause an issue. Like, if I went home by myself, I might get in a dark place. But when I was out with people, very rarely did I ever, like, say anything or try to stir the pot. I think I just didn't say anything. But it's one of those things where, you know, this is just some random, literally a dude off the street who came in the bar. And he wasn't even a drunk. You know, he was a guy, like, he was telling us how he like he has kids now. And he's like a single dad and he li- he still lives up the street. He's like this this rocker who has lived in our hometown forever. And he lives up the street from the Chinese walk. So he just like comes in to get a drink or two. You know, he's not even a, a wasteoid or anything. And then he, he goes to festivals in Seattle and there's a band that vaguely sounds like they were influenced by black sabbath as well as probably Soundgarden, as well as probably nirvana you know what i mean it's like he's playing something like that and i you know i don't i'm not like what an idiot i'm just saying it's like this guy obviously he's not gonna make my taste (laughs) you know this guy he's obviously not gonna be a tastemaker in my life and actually i think the experience was better for it like if that guy had come in off the street and put something like super cult on the jukebox i'm like I, this is a little too weird but the reason i bring all this up is because the guy uh he's an example of what i mean where he's like a guy who grew up with like being into hard rock and like early heavy metal but that was sort of where it ended like he stayed that way you could tell like from his look that that's what he was into that was just that was what he was into as a young man and that's still what he's into and the stuff that impresses him now is stuff Like bar bands that vaguely sound like that. And it's not a horrible place to be in, because you just you know what you like. Like going back to the episode, the last episode that I just did, it's kind of a way of not having to decide anymore. Because as as fun as the endless quest for jewels is, as fun as it is to search for them, or just be... You know, because a lot of it isn't even searching, it's just kind of being ready to notice the jewel when it glimmers... And you have to be kind of prepared for that. You have to know there might be jewels around. But it can also be stressful because, I mean, it really does bring out your neurosis. It really does bring out your neuroses, to go back to that. Because, you know, you end up falling in and out of love with music. You end up falling in and out of love with, you know, artists and bands and even the entire idea of being a fan. You kind of fall in and out of love with that process And you're also kind of trying to decide what you're into, especially if you're looking for new things. Like, investigating a new genre is actually very stressful. (laughs) And I mean that. You know, I mean that sincerely. Like, if you're passionate about something, even though it's this thing you love, it's very stressful and time-consuming because it's like you're, you're assessing things. And most things that you truly like you tend to know right away, but there are some things that are a slow burn. There are some things where you just need the right person to point something out about it, or to just say, hey, they're into it. Like, for example, going back to you know my friend Miles, and I'm sure he'll love to hear this, just talking all about my friends, but uh, at least I'm praising him. No, but he, uh, like, I might check something out, and it's just kind of in one ear, out the other, And he might say, oh, you know, I actually got really into that. And so I'll revisit it, and maybe I'll notice the guitar more than I did. Maybe the guitar is kind of buried. But if you actually listen to what's going on with the guitar, you're like, this is incredible. Of course. I just wasn't paying attention to the right thing. And so when you have people like that in your life, when you have friends like that, you know, sometimes that's all it takes is them kind of, you know, easing you along but up to that point like when you're on that quest yourself and you know while i don't consider myself a tastemaker i would consider myself definitely a pretty good jewel hunter it's a pretty good pg you know that's my those are my credentials i'm a pg level jewel hunter but that said, I you know, looking back to, like, the days when I was constantly looking for things, you end up spending a lot of time, like, considering things and thinking about them. And maybe I'm alone in this, but it gets kind of stressful sometimes. It gets... some Having taste can be stressful. And part of that, too, is that it's like... You know, when you have taste, that means that you have taste in things you... Or... You know, when you have taste, it means there are things you don't like. Because to have taste is to have things that fall outside of your taste. Your taste is defined by the fact that there are things you like and don't like. So because of that, you're exposed to a lot of things you don't like or don't know what to think about them. And if anything brings out your inner neuroses, that's going to be one of them it's constantly exposing yourself to things you don't like on the off chance that you find something you do like. I mean, at a certain point, that takes its toll. So anyway, it makes complete sense to me why a guy like Joey88 is like, I was into heavy rock music in the 80s. I'm never going to cut my hair. and And when young guys give some kind of nod to this, At a food festival in Seattle, I'm going to take note because it reminds me of the things that I like. So he doesn't even have to choose. And I mean, I probably given more thought to this guy than he's given to himself. Poor Joey 88. Just to close that story out. I do remember this. I must not have blacked out when he played this terrible bar band. Because I do remember leaving the bar. I think we were having, I think we bummed cigarettes off of him or something and we were smoking with him. And, uh, I liked the guy, the guy was cool, for, for like somebody, for some random, you know, drunk conversation, I'm a, I'm a Joey88 fan. But what was funny is like, before he left, I remember it was a Saturday, because the next day there was a Seahawks game, and I wasn't going to miss it, you know, I haven't missed a Seahawks game, knock on wood, in many, many years, and it turns out he was a Seahawks fan, so he's a local rocker, and he's also a fan of the Hawks. A good local guy. Like, I think we talked about Queensryche, because Queensryche is from this area. There are a few bands from this area like that. And so he looked like a Queensryche guy. I think we probably talked about Queensryche or something. And he, uh, but before he left, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be, he's like, I watched the games at this bar in Seattle called the such and such. I'd never heard of it. And and being that drunk, I was just like, well, go. we'll meet you tomorrow. I was like, we're going to go to that bar, and we're going to watch the Seahawks game with you, which, you know, of course, like drunk plans, (laughs) you know, if you drink enough, drunk plans eventually work out because you make so many of them, you know, just uh, statistically, like some of your plans are actually going to happen when you drink enough and make drunk plans, but I can tell you that watching the Seahawks game with Joey 88 was not a part of the plan, you know. So like we actually exchanged phone numbers and like much later I was going through my phone just like looking at whose numbers were in my phone still. And I saw one that said Joel. And I was like, who's that? Like, I can't think of a single friend. I can't think of a single person whose number I would have named Joel. I just, I don't know many. And I can't think of any that I would be on terms with, you know, to to have their number. And then I realized much later, I was like, oh, I bet that's Joey 88. I bet that I was so drunk that I inputted his name as Joel. But yeah, that drunk plan didn't work out. Because to me, it sounded like the most amazing thing in the world to be like drinking and watching the Seahawks with Joey 88. I hope the guy didn't think I was making fun of him. You know, I don't think so. I think we were probably the, the best people he'd met in that bar in a while to talk myself up but still it was just funny because I see this name Joel and I'm just like who is that oh I bet that's Joey 88 I bet I tried to type Joey 88 and it like auto corrected to Joel and that was probably really funny to me and so I kept it I know how I think but yeah it's just that kind of stuff where it's like that guy's like sense of meaning is like old school heavy metal hard rock 70s 80s I've made up this whole scenario about, like, who this guy is, who I talked to for an hour once. But still, like, you know, it gave gave me a sense. I had a sense for the guy, especially when he played me this bar band. But you do have friends where they're not going to do that. Like, you have friends—I have friends, (laughs) at least, who, like, if you do have a conversation about Black Sabbath, they might bring up some, like, strange band who, you know, in Europe who, like— was inspired by one black Sabbath song and built their entire sound around it but mutated it into something else and so you're introduced to that but there is that other sort of person who comes from the opposite end they're like check out this bar rock band." but I mean it makes sense to me too though why there's those people who you know they might not trust one person Like, someone they know, like, no matter how good that person's taste is in food, they might not completely trust their recommendation because it's just one person. Whereas there's a sort of person who gets online and it's like, I want to see how many Yelp reviews this thing has. And that's how they decide to go where they're going to go. They think that's more trustworthy, more dependable. I mean, it's one of the reasons why there are people who will only eat in chain restaurants. You know, and I don't look down on people for that, but there are people who, you know, will only eat in chain restaurants because they know exactly what to expect. Their options are already laid out for them. They've had the exact same meal that looks and tastes the exact same way in every single town they've ever lived in in their life, which might not be very many. And they just know that if they go to Olive Garden or Red Robin, we have them right across the street from each other. But they know if they go there, exactly what they're going to get. They probably don't have to look at the menu for too long. They don't have to worry about someone else's recommendation. It's, they figure, you know, it's popular. It's popular for a reason. I've always been satisfied with this. There's something for everybody. And that goes back to like when you know that a, a musical artist has millions of fans. You look at that and you say, well, there must be a little something for everybody, depending on your age. Depending on like because you can look at like who it appeals to. And if it if it is a broad demographic, you can say, well, hmm, there must be there must actually be something in this for everyone. And that's kind of how I feel about just melody itself. Like sometimes I'm surprised at what does or doesn't have an impact on somebody based on the melody alone. Because melody is like kind of at the core of, of my attraction to music, you know, as as it is for many people. But what I mean by that is a very specific sort of melody. And, you know, the best thing in the world for me, you know, is a sense of melody that, you know, kind of connects to something that I'm already into, but does it in a completely new way. Like they add one extra note or they they change one note, like the expected note that you're going to get ends up being a little bit different than, I mean, if you listen to Every Night to School Night, not that that's... The only stuff i'm into of course it's not but if you listen to that like a lot of it probably sounds the same to people like someone who listens to that might be like all doo-wop has the same exact beat the same downbeat all of the melodies are incredibly similar most of the people making doo-wop even the obscure raw stuff were trying to be popular and at that point you actually could be very raw and be popular I mean, the story of Angel Baby, which I tell on here periodically, because it's such a good story, but the story of the song Angel Baby by Rosie in the originals, where these teenage kids put together a little band, and they, you know, saved money for studio time in a local studio, and they recorded Angel Baby, a song they wrote. And they listened to the master, the original master, so many times that it permanently warped the master before it went to production. So the actual, and it became a hit, it became a big song at that point, because simply having a recording of any music at all at that point, like you think about that music as raw as it was, you could call it hi-fi for its day, compared to like the way recordings sounded in the 1940s. Like a stripped-down 1950s local studio sound was hi-fi compared to, you know, even like big band music and stuff like that. Um, But, uh, so they they listened to the master so many times that they permanently warped it. And so what you're actually hearing is apparently a warped recording. I don't know, you can't really hear any warping. I mean... In the opening notes, in the opening guitar notes, you know, you might be able to hear something, you know, there might be something in there that where you're kind of like, this guitar sounds a little weird, but it didn't warp it in the way that we think of, like a warped record or a warped tape, but the story is that they listened to it so many times that it damaged it, and I I relate to that so hard, not because I have ever done anything on the level of Rosie and the originals but I remember making a recording with a friend we played music together for the first time and just did a little you know room recording that we didn't have any expectations for and we were so happy with how it sounded that we listened to it over and over again and fortunately for us you know or maybe unfortunately we had a digital file that we could just play or whatever it was you know you, you rip it to your computer but still, we did that. We were, like, so astonished, I guess it was. You know, we were so astonished with it that we liked what we did. That it that what we did fit our tastes. And that'll get into the next topic that I wasn't planning on going into about... When what you make doesn't fit your own taste. Which is weird, but it does happen. But, uh, you know, I just... I related to that story of them damaging their own master. And at that point in time, you could do that. You could submit a, a damaged, raw master and it would become a big hit but the reason i was talking about doo-wop and all that is because a lot of it does follow a very similar formula and a lot of those artists were trying to copy each other and i guess that's the amazing thing about human creativity is that sometimes someone just is trying to copy someone sometimes someone is just trying to like recreate what somebody else did because they like it so much but it ends up mutating unintentionally on its own. And sometimes that's the best. And that does really describe, you know, my taste in doo wop, where a lot of it is very formulaic. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talent involved. One of the reasons it appeals to me is that sort of melody, that sort of minor key melody is just perfectly up my alley. It doesn't even matter, like, how you play it, it doesn't even matter if it's doo wop. If you play melodies that chill me like that, I'm going to like it. Um, But so, like, I've spent so much time with that genre, though, that it's like, I know to listen for the mutations. And I like, like, the formula. I like the foundation of the music so much. The fact that a lot of it does follow a formula or that artists were just trying to copycat on top of what was popular, like, that doesn't bother me at all because I can hear the little nuances and mutations. And it's like the episode, you know, A Thousand Words for Snow or whatever... I was talking about like the Inuit people who have apparently like 200 or 300 words for snow, I think is is, uh, what I was talking about there. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Like if you spend enough time around snow, you're going to end up with a lot of words for snow. You're going to observe a lot of details. You're going to see the snow in a different way than somebody who gets it once a year. And that's just what happens when you're surrounded by something, it's what happens when you're immersed in something. And so when you listen to a certain genre of music enough, like I've listened to enough doo-wop, that something that might sound identical to someone else, I might have 300 words for it. Apparently I do, because I've been doing every nights of school nights since, I don't know, 2013 or whatever, uh, but a thousand words for doo-wop. But, you know, I've played things for people, and they've just, like, shrugged it off, and they've been like, this sounds like everything else you played me. And it's the same thing for every genre. You know, it's truly the same thing for every genre, where it's like, once someone gets an idea, and people say, that's a good idea that appeals to me, I'm gonna do that, too. That's a branch on the tree, and then people just start going along that branch. And that branch is still gonna, like, sprawl out. It's eventually gonna end. Like, you can only play death metal for so long. You can only do so much to innovate death metal for so long before that branch just ends. And that's when you see shit start to, like, wind back in on itself and then people start saying, like, we're a free jazz death metal band. Or they just start doing what somebody did 30 years earlier. Like, these days we have people who are, God, 45 years old who are like, I'm going to start a late 80s demo era swedish death metal band and we're going to wear leather jackets and pose solemnly in graveyards so that we look like entombed so that we look like nihilist the band before it entombed you know there's people who they at 45 years old they're trying to recreate an idea that was not only created by but perfected by teenagers And there's nothing wrong with that unto itself, but you gotta be aware of it. And what you're doing is you're just like, you got to the end of the branch. Like human creativity is these different branches. And with that one, it's like you got to the end of the branch and it was like, oh, I guess we can't really do anything with this. So we're gonna go back to an earlier part of the branch and just hang out there. And then shit gets really twisted up where, like, some branches end up twisting around and getting tied up with other branches. And those don't go anywhere. Those just, like, get knotted and they get weird and the branches, like, start strangling the tree. And that's what you get from novelty. Like when something reaches a point where the only way to do something else with it is to combine it with something else that already exists and make just some sort of hybrid mule. Where it's like, oh, see, this is interesting because we combined uh, jazz fusion with death metal. And it's just pure novelty, and there's usually nothing beyond it past that. And I say that as somebody who liked not necessarily that, I don't even know that that exists, but I say that as somebody who, like, when I was, like, growing up, like, talking about the stress of, like, looking for jewels, talking about, you know, how it brings out this neurotic part of you, you're, like, on this quest for something unique and good, and novelty, I mean, there's a reason why, like, fake jewels are considered a novelty item. I'm talking about actual real like fake jewels like they're the kind of thing you find in a novelty store like a fake crystal or a fake diamond and you can easily be tricked because sometimes those glisten more like you're going through life and you're looking for something that glistens you're paying enough attention to be like oh something just glistened over there it's like a video game it's like I'm gonna go over there and look there must be something hidden there because I know I saw in the sun I saw a glint of something I saw a, a glint, a glimmer, you know I saw something. But the thing is, is is fake jewels do that too. and I think they do it even more sometimes. Sometimes you can be tricked by novelty because the sun hits those things. those things see the light of day and a fake jewel can look like a strobe light and you're like, "Oh, it's right there. And you're like, I can't believe they thought of this. Isn't this weird? but it doesn't go anywhere. You realize at some point that those sorts of things, and novelty has its place, but you realize at some point that novelties just get hybridized with other novelties. And so what you end up with is just, you end up with some sort of Frankenstein that can't walk. It's a mule Frankenstein that can't walk. It's not gonna go anywhere and it's actually strangling the tree. And a lot of people have noticed that that's just where our culture is at, period. You know, something that was in the news yesterday, I don't even know how I saw this, but it was like talking about, it was some sort of article I saw and the headline was, yes, they really were planning a Fast and the Furious Jurassic Park movie. And that's an example of what I mean. Like, that's no different. It's on a different level. It appeals to a different person, maybe. But that's based around the same thing as the person who's like, I'm going to combine free jazz with death metal. And then you could could say, like, oh, well, what about Gore Guts? Isn't that kind of what they did? Not really. Not really free jazz. But you know what I mean. You can always come up with examples of people who have, like, obviously taken influences from different things and done a good job at it. There are exceptions. There are people who are able to innovate we are able to hybridize and bridge gaps without just creating some mutant novelty. But no, we do live in this time where it feels more and more like most creativity is just some sort of mutant novelty that never actually becomes its own thing. And you can't rally around that stuff is the problem. Like, I don't even really care. Like, I don't care that there's very little new music and I don't even mean like people creating new music I even mean just like new ideas like new ideas for music like I don't even mind that I feel like there's this lack of that but it sucks that it doesn't feel like people can really rally around something new it seems like people have been rallying around novelty then they rally around a novelty combined with another novelty And you just end up with this stack of novelties that are stuck together. They're never actually a whole new thing. And maybe I'll feel differently later. Maybe in 20 years, when we're on episode... Turns out in 20 years, we'll be on episode uh, 322. Turns out the next episode is going to come out in 20 years. No, realistically, in 20 years, we're on episode 300,021. I might say, oh hey, you know, now that I can look back on what was going on in the 2010s, now that I can look back on what was going on in the 2020s, turns out there was this whole underbelly that I missed out on, or it turns out there was something really cool about this thing that I ignored, because it just sounded like some weird digital tinny hip-hop. Hip-hop. No, but, you know, I very well might say that in 20 years if I have any openings left in my mind at all if my brain isn't just a knot in 20 years maybe i'll feel that way i'll look back and say hey you know i guess i was wrong maybe there were cool things going on that i simply you know missed out on or ignored or somebody just hadn't told me to listen to that guitar part but i want to go on there was something i was going to bring up a minute ago which is you know how like people can make things they don't like obviously and a lot of people would say that a lot of people would say they're not fans of the thing they like which sometimes is a lie you know so there's that false sort of artist humility where people will say, like, I don't even like the things I make. I'm a tortured artist who can't bear to enjoy the things that I produce because they come from a place of pain. You know, there's people who feel that way genuinely, but there are a lot of people who know that that's a way to act humble. They know that's a way, you know, it's it's become like just a common trope for creative people to act like they're not fans of what they do even though chances are what originally led them to do it was being a fan of something and going back to that Rosie and the Originals idea or My Friend and I where you listen to it so much that you warp it or in our case you just listen to it so much that you warp your brain which I think is what happened to us it wasn't the master recording that we warped we warped our own brains by listening to it so much but that's like what it feels like because when you're in that position you don't feel like you made it you know, you don't feel like you were the one who made that thing. It doesn't really feel like it came from you. Because one, you haven't done things like that. Rosie and the original were teenagers. They had never made music. Uh, they, they'd never made a recording before. At least not a recording like that. So, when they were listening to their own music over and over again, they weren't necessarily thinking, Look at how good we are. Not to say it didn't cross their mind. This is practically fan fiction, you know, me talking about this, but let it be fan fiction. But, you know, when they listened back to it, they probably weren't coming from a place of, like, Dang, we're good. Listen to our chops. It probably felt otherworldly. It probably felt like it didn't come from them, because it was still so new to them. And I think some people start out that way, where they're making things that fit their taste. They're making things that don't feel like they came from them, because they're still new to it. They, they surprise themselves. But then that becomes their identity. Now they make music for 30 years. How do you like your own music for 30 years while doing it all the time? Like, it's one thing if you only record music when you're truly inspired. But how do you become a, a professional recording artist and do that for the rest of your life, pretty much? You've dedicated yourself to it. How do you do that and like it? And the, and the fact is, you probably won't like everything... Your fans won't like everything. But there are some people who make things, you know, all the time that they don't like. And some of that's for business. Like, it's certainly crossed my mind. You know, as someone who, you know, has obviously dedicated my entire adult life to my drawings, to my art. It's crossed my mind before things I could do that would be more appealing. Things that would make my work more marketable. And there's no shame in trying to make a living. There's never any shame from using something that you've worked hard on to try to make a living. But it's not, some, you know, it's not something I wanted to do because it would have taken away the reason I do it. I mean, it's hard enough to be inspired to do things that I like because I do like what I do. What I do is a reflection of my taste. And I don't like all of it. But what I'm trying to do at the end of the day is create something that appeals to my taste that I like. Again, I don't always like everything I draw. And as the person who makes something, I of course know the exact spots on the paper where I was lazy or tired. I can see the exact point where I should have taken a break. I can see where I made a mistake and covered it up. And other people don't necessarily see that. Or if they do, it's like it's it's obviously far worse for me. doesn't make a difference to them. They might even think it's supposed to be that way. But overall, I'm trying to make things I like. And, you know, my creativity isn't geared toward marketability. Again, doesn't make it better or worse. I just haven't found a way to do stuff that's both marketable and that makes me feel inspired and that satisfies my own taste. I just haven't quite found the perfect way to do that. It doesn't make a difference to me if I ever do, honestly. I don't depend on it. But there are some people where they just come from a point of view of, oh yeah, I really have no interest in this. I'm just doing it to, you know, make money. I found a way to make money doing this thing that I either have talent in or that I put a lot of hard work into. More likely both. But they don't like it. But there are other people where it's not even a business decision. It's not even a a marketing decision where they're making stuff they don't like because that's how they make money. There are people who just make things they don't like. And like they have no intention of liking it. And some of that is just the false humility that artists take on, which itself is a form of marketing. But a lot of them take that, you know, a lot of them do feel that way. There are people who feel that way, and I don't relate to that myself, you know, I don't. I don't relate to the idea of, like, consistently making things that don't even try to appeal to your own sense of taste. But the amazing thing about a tastemaker is, you know, that can come through musically as well. I think that's one of the reasons why... You know, I think everybody who's into bands has had the experience of a certain member leaving, and they might not even be the sole songwriter. They might not even have written all the music. But them leaving the band marks just a fundamental change in what they do, and they're no longer as good. I mean, that story is as old as time as long as music has been around that's happened as long as the idea of like starting a band with people has been around you see that where there's a noticeable change and you might you might even like the stuff afterward you know that stuff might even appeal to you but you just you notice a change and often you don't like it as much or at all and sometimes it is somebody who was writing all the music sometimes it is a vocalist whose voice you just like they were particularly good at getting that at, at fitting with the sound of the rest of the band, it could be something like that other times though it's it 's more inexplicable where maybe someone wasn 't even writing the music, but they leave the band and there 's a decline, and maybe they left because it was, they already noticed the decline i don 't know, <laughs> but sometimes that person leaving is what caused the decline, and it wasn 't because they were writing the material it wasn 't because they were a virtuoso they just brought something to it. There was some sort of intangible factor that that person brought. And then it's it's never the same. But I think a part of that too is just what I was talking about earlier where when someone forms their identity around doing this and doing it all the time for the rest of their life, I think that's gonna happen with most people too. Because you think about, like, what goes into a band's first album. All of that initial inspiration. And I'm not even a guy who says, like, only the first album is good. There's kind of a cliché about that among music fans. But there's also a lot of truth to it, like most clichés. And the reason why a band's first album is often what appeals to most people, and often it's the second album, too. But the reason why the first couple is because all this inspiration was building up they were still surprised by what they were doing without needing to throw anything in like you think about Rosie and the originals listening back to their first song and being blown away listening to it over and over again and they didn't need to add anything to the mix they didn't need to change anything simply doing what they were doing was surprising and it was good but what if they kept doing that Like, what if they kept following that exact same formula, writing that song over and over again in different ways? They can't find, like, a natural evolution. That's when you start throwing novelty in. That's when a band thinks, you know what this is missing? Keyboards. And of course, I love keyboards. I love synthesizer. But you can see where people start overthinking things. You can see where people start saying, oh, you know what? here's how we can be less bored here's how we can be surprised again instead of recording this on 8 tracks let's record it on 24 let's record it on an unlimited number of tracks let's add in several layers of keyboard and again nothing against keyboards but i think that that's kind of a common i think that's kind of a uh, a common one where that keyboard's in the studio let's just see what it sounds like guys i'm kind of bored by it let's see what it sounds like and sometimes it might be the thing that ties it all together but other times you hear it and you're like oh you know i know what they were thinking i know what they were trying to do the keyboards are sort of a novelty you're adding to the mix entire albums become novelty records so it's like being able to get to that place where not even get to that place but just you know it's you don't often hear any stories about people who only do things when they're inspired they exist but you don't hear a lot of stories about that because once you start doing something and it becomes part of your identity, it becomes part of your routine, you just kind of do it endlessly until things blow up. Or you do truly lose interest. You know, things just sometimes things will just die on their own or they'll blow up. But you know, it's what you see with artists. Where sometimes when someone becomes an artist you know, and and, you know, again, sometimes making a living comes into this, which I don't see as a bad thing. I don't see that as selling out. I don't have that point of view. If you're able to do that, I don't see why you wouldn't. If you've come up with something that works, that's marketable, I mean, I can see why you wouldn't, but still like, you know, I can see the appeal. Let's put it that way. But still, the idea of just doing something forever. I'm just going to do this forever because I started doing it. Because I started doing this, i do it forever. And when I talk about institutions, you know, bands become institutions. And they kind of think, oh, I just have to go on doing this forever because it's what I do. It's what we do. And there are a lot worse ways you could fill your time. But when you want to talk about taste and inspiration... It gets difficult. And you hear this from people over and over again. I mean, this is why behind the music exists. Behind the music is just a million different ways of saying this, combined with a bunch of interpersonal drama. Which seems to be unavoidable, too, with these things, whether you're an artist or a fan. And that's why I say there's something special about music. It brings a lot of drama with it. Both actual drama in the presence of the music, and the music has a dramatic presence. There's a reason why dramatic scenes in movies often have a background of music. Or when there is an absence of music in a dramatic scene in a movie, it's actually more dramatic because normally you'd expect music. So the silence actually creates more tension. But a very easy way to build drama is to have a certain style of music, behind a certain scene in a movie. And so music is dramatic in that way, but it's also very dramatic in the way that its fans respond to it, in the way that its fans interact surrounding it, in the conversations they have, in the way I'm talking right now. You see it between musicians, a lot of drama. And of course the bigger picture is that humans are just surrounded by drama, good and bad. I love drama. Also hate it. But so the bigger picture is that humans are surrounded by this. But I do think it comes out in this highly specific way. Maybe through my own interests. I'm just very aware of it. The way that music is both dramatic in how it it comes across and makes us feel. And the way that it highlights events. The way that it, it kind of molds to everything. Whether it's a grocery store bathroom or a pivotal scene in a movie, human beings think, I think this would be better with music. You know what would make this bathroom better? Music. You know what would make this scene more gripping? Music. So there's that, but then there's also the fact that people fight. Like, I grew up going to, like, music message boards. Nobody fought like they did there. Of course, people have always been fighting online, but you'd go to, like, a band's message board, and it's just everybody fighting. It's a lot of drama, and a lot of it actually involves the music, too. A lot of it's actually about the music. Like, when a bad sequel to a movie comes out, you see it, and you don't like it, and you think, that sucked. And maybe somebody who really, really likes movies feels that a little more. But if there's a band you love and they come out with a new album and it sucks, you almost feel like going town to town on horseback, like a town crier and letting everybody know, everybody, it sucks. It's almost like you're personally offended by it. And people get very invested in all kinds of details related to it. And they fight over that. And they bond over that. Again, there's good and bad drama, but it, music, just the very idea of music, bands, artists, it makes people very dramatic. And uh, it, there's also a lot of drama with the people involved, I mean, like some of the most dramatic people you'll ever meet are musicians. And you put a bunch of them together, and what are you going to get? But uh, I think that's part of the appeal of it, too. That's one of the reasons I think that it has an appeal beyond being simply what it is. We like the sort of mythology around it. I mean, I personally like the idea of people at their most mundane. Not in the sense, not in like some MTV Cribs sense, like Travis Barker from Blink One Eighty Two showing you his Xbox and being like, "This is what I do all day." I don't think that happened. I don't think that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. But uh, on his episode. But I'm just saying, like, there's that sort of angle to it of like people at their most mundane, which is like, here's, here's where we play table tennis and there's the Xbox in the corner. You know, I don't even mean that. I just mean the fact that people who are otherwise unassuming, people who, if you saw them in their day-to-day life and they seem mundane, you know, the fact that that person can go home or get on stage and do something that is quite dramatic and evocative, whether I like it or not, that's impressive to me. It's not the stories about Led Zeppelin doing this in a hotel room. I was never into that. I was never interested in that side of music, where I wanted to see these people as larger than life. I just kind of wanted to, like, I like thinking of these as ordinary people. Doing something that human beings need. I haven't talked about Alan Watts in a while, but Alan Watts mentioned people are addicted to music. That's how British people sound. You know, but Alan Watts went on, on a, he, had, he had a tangent in one lecture about how human, like if you actually stop and think about how addicted to music people are, it's incredible that they need it. And I don't know that I need it, because I don't actually listen to it much anymore, but the fact that I needed it so much most of my life up to this point... Well, I think I got enough of it for a lifetime. But I obviously needed it. And I still need to have it within reach. Like, I'd be pretty upset if you told me, Hey, Eric, uh, we heard you saying that you don't really need music anymore. And we know you're just trying to sound cool. But still, since you don't need it, I think we're going to take all music away from you. We're going to put you in a world without music. I'd be pretty heartbroken. I'd be pretty upset. If you'd told me that 15 years ago, I would have gone to war with you. <laughs> you try to take music away from me? Sorry for all the breath, I know this phone, like beyond the fact that my breath has gotten like really heavy over the last year from whatever's going on with my coronivai lung, which I try not to think about, but I know that the phone compresses the breathing and that you hear everything, especially on a steep hill. But uh, yeah, no, I, I would hate for somebody to take it away from me even now, even though I feel like I've gotten my fill. apologies all around but uh, people do have this need they have this addiction they truly are addicted to it and it goes with everything they do like there are very few moments in this life where you don't hear music one way or another you're going to be exposed to it constantly the fact that just going to the store and shopping They're playing music on the jukebox in the store. They're playing it in the bathroom when you go in. Cars are driving by you nonstop, and you're hearing it all the time, assuming you're not listening to it yourself. You know, I don't walk with headphones because I'm too paranoid. But you see people walking with headphones and most of them are listening to something, obviously. I don't need to tell anybody that music is popular with people. And I couldn't possibly do justice to Alan Watts, but he did do a very funny little bit about it, about how strange it actually is when you think about how preoccupied and addicted people are to it. But we all understand it. You know, some people don't. You know, that's why, like, I I do find that, like, even though I'm, you know, mostly sober now, you know, I know people telling people like every few months i'll go through a brief phase taking a few puffs of weed at night you know i know some people don't count that as sobriety and i don't either really but being generally sober in recent years you know it's easier for me to connect with people who have at least dabbled in stuff like not that i was ever some you know i I wasn't you know the worst drunk in the world i was never a drug addict or anything but that was a big part of my life like testing those waters and then you know smoking a lot of weed and you know drinking all the time and you know stuff like that but I just naturally like I understand people better who have been through that while I don't understand people who have been through the throes of like severe addiction I find it's easier for me to connect with people who have been through some phase of substance abuse in their life even if it was just like college dabbling like when someone's never done that Those are the sort of people who will say, like, I just don't understand heroin. I've, of course, never tried heroin, but uh, I understand there's an appeal there. Even though I never even liked opiates that much, somehow everybody seems to love them. But, you know, when I've been prescribed them or when people have given them to me, I've taken them recreationally. But for whatever reason, it was never, it just wasn't engaging enough. I tend to like things that are a little more engaging for me. Um, But with that, you know, I at least understand it. I can relate to it in my own way. But when there's people out there who just don't understand it at all, I don't blame them because it's not how they're wired, it's not in their experience. But I, I always find it a little harder to connect with them. You know just because it seemed especially if they're kind of like i just don't understand why you drink you know uh three fifths in two days you know well i don't expect everybody to relate or understand that you know someone who, who simply can't is going to be harder for me to relate to whereas somebody who like used to just get drunk at college parties is going to be that much easier to relate to And not even over alcohol, just in a general, you know, mental sense. But it's interesting because we all understand the addiction to music so well that we don't even question it or see it as an addiction. We just see it as something that is necessary for people. Even though it brings out the good and bad in people, like I was talking about a little bit ago, just a minute ago, who knows anymore. Like I was talking about a minute ago... You know, it does bring out this weird interpersonal drama between people. Whether they're artists, whether they're fans. I mean, you you just see it in the way that people are like, turn this off. Like, if someone's in a room and their friend is playing music they just hate. Like, not indifferent to, but they just flat out hate the music. They're going to tell them to turn it off. There's something that grates on your soul about it. And I think that's why it provokes so much drama. Like, a lot of people have fights. Like, friends have fights over controlling the jukebox. And there are these sort of hostage situations that you can get sucked into where someone's just forcing you to endure all of this music you hate. And if you resist, it's going to cause a problem. Because they love it and you hate it. And it's not the same for a movie. Like, if someone puts on a movie you don't like, you're you're not going to sit there and be, like, screaming at it. You're not going to be screaming at them to turn it off. And people enjoy bad movies as a novelty more than people enjoy bad music as a novelty. Like, movies are definitely the epicenter of the whole... It's so bad, it's a good idea. Like, that idea kind of entered pop culture, like the idea of things being so bad, they're good, through movies. Very few people feel the same way about music. Yeah, there is stuff where you listen to it and you're like, yeah, this is garbage. You have to hear it. You have to hear how bad this is. But it's not going to appeal to you in the same way that like, a campy, independent B-movie might be. Or for that matter, a big movie that's just a total flop and is embarrassingly bad. But you're like, hey, there's something entertaining about this. And you're probably not going to get in an argument over it. Whereas music, you very well might. No matter who you are. Because, I mean, the way I'm talking about this, you know, it might sound like, oh, well, that's what happens when everybody you know is obsessed with music, and I think there's some truth to that. But I experienced this growing up with with friends who had completely different taste in music, who were involved in very different things, or, or not really involved in anything. You know, there's people who have fights over, you know, their friend playing Tupac, (laughs) and uh, I don't know I mean what is there to say about it beyond what I've already said it's fascinating but it's also stressful (laughs) it also brings out your neuroses your natural neuroses come out but it's also life-affirming it also seems to matter more to you like it's something you take with you and carry with you like as you go about your life which is the interesting thing like you don't go through life thinking like oh I wish this TV show or movie was playing in the background everywhere I go I wish Goodfellas was playing in my car everywhere I drive that person exists <laughs> I wish the land before time was playing in my car everywhere I go no people don't think of movies that way you know, even though the technology is there the demand isn't like i remember when people got tvs in their cars i knew a family that for a long road trip i took with them as a kid they somehow hooked up one of those tv vcr hybrids speaking of hybrids they somehow hooked one of those up in their car so that we could watch movies because we, we had to go on a very long road trip But, you know, we have the technology so you could just have movies playing, like not even watching them, but just have them playing in your car all the time. And, you know, that sort of person probably exists who's doing that. But it certainly isn't like music. And, I mean, one of the reasons that music is purely auditory, obviously, it makes it easy to go along with other things because it doesn't require multiple senses. You can easily and safely multitask, including driving with it, But it gets distracting, too. Like, I guarantee you, the person who is driving around with a car TV that's playing Goodfellas, I guarantee you they're not playing it through a subwoofer at deafening volume as they drive through neighborhoods so that everybody can hear the war drum, so that everybody can hear how much they love Goodfellas. They love Goodfellas so much that they play it in their car through a subwoofer. You don't hear about that, but yet music makes people, particularly young men, play it like a loud war drum, because it is. They want everybody to hear it. They want everybody to know they're there. And, you know, subwoofers are so interesting because you really can't hear the music through them. You know, it just, it turns everything into this bass throb, which is why I call it a war drum but music is something that makes people want to do that. I mean, it makes people more aggressive sometimes. Like, I've had the experience where, you know, I'm blasting music while I'm driving, and I, I notice that I'm not driving as safely as I, I should or could. I'm taking corners fast. I'm being a little more reckless, because it's a nice day and I'm blasting music, and it does something to my brain. So all of that is wrapped up in music, and then you go back to taste. So for me, knowing somebody, having a friend, having friends who can recommend you something, and whether or not you like it, you give it a chance, there's a whole lot that goes into that. I might not think about it. You know, I'm obviously... You know, taking this on a whole other level I don't normally get into in my own mind when I'm going about my life. But it's not a casual decision for me at this point in my life when someone recommends music or sends me a link to music. It's not a casual decision to just listen to it. Like, I have to see what it is, see who it's coming from. And if everything doesn't line up... Honestly, I'm like, this isn't going to be worth my time. And I don't say that as an elitist. I don't say that because I don't appreciate the recommendation. It's just that there's a whole lot to music. There's a whole lot to taste. And I feel lucky to know tastemakers. Even though they're not spreading the word to the masses, even though they're not changing the world... I do appreciate those people in their own small way who influence people. And that's a word that's been sort of tainted in the last few years, influence. I like the word tastemaker. People who, when they like something, you think there's something to this. And for me, that's always an individual thing. For me, it takes a specific trusted person... They don't necessarily have to be my friend or close to me, but I do have to have a certain level of trust in that person's taste. And those people aren't easy to find, which is why I'm even more tolerant of the fact that some people are just like, you know what, I'm just going to do what people are doing, I'm going to like what people like. They might not have anybody... They might not, not know anybody... They might not be the kind of person... Who knows where to look for jewels... You know... They might not be that kind of person... And... Uh, you know... I... Like I said... I'm a PG jewel hunter... I'm a pretty good jewel hunter... I know other jewel hunters... Because of that... I, p- I feel pretty wealthy... When it comes to... Taste... I feel pretty lucky lucky and wealthy in the world of taste not because I think I or my friends have the best taste although I do that's just uh, sort of uh, (laughs) that's just sort of the icing on it Um, but it's like you know we need to know where to look is what I'm getting at here and whether it's one person a friend of yours. It could be a celebrity. It could be somebody. I mean, you think about the number of people who, like growing up as a kid and you read an interview with a band and they drop the names of other bands, you're going to check them out. You trust that person's taste. Sometimes it's garbage. Sometimes your favorite artist has horrible taste, it turns out. Or they've gone on some weird tangent where they're talking about like some weird whim they went on but uh you know for the most part you know you would check that stuff out because at that point in time what else are you going to go off of one of your favorite artists recommends something you love that artist chances are you're going to check that thing out that person has credibility so it could be something like that it could be a friend of yours we look for credibility and for some people they gravitate toward the credibility of numbers To them, maybe all they have or just what they prefer is what's already been approved of by the largest number of people, and their brains aren't sitting there breaking it down that way. That's just how they're wired. So to close it out, I just want to make the point that even though I'm not that way and I am more of a curmudgeon, I do have a lot of discretion when it comes to taste. I understand people who just kind of are looking for something that has been approved. Because chances are they will find something in it. Chances are they will feel more connected to people, and I can't blame them for that. Because at the end of the day, like that's the reason music is so addictive, is because it seems to connect different things. This land to me, this brave, this golden land to me, and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free.